Welcome to the Blockchain Marketing Podcast, your go-to resource for tried-and-true crypto marketing strategies. As passionate marketers and communication specialists in the space, Simon Moser and Jonathan King of Polygrowth PR bring you the latest trends and techniques that are working right now for their agency's clients and share exclusive insights from special guests who are successful innovators in the industry. So grab your notepad and set your stop losses because you won't want to miss what's next. Here are your hosts, Simon Moser and Jonathan King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Marketing Podcast with your hosts, myself, Jonathan King, and Simon Moser. Simon, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good, man. We're still seeing a, a bit of a bounce back in the market, and, and things seem to be holding pretty strong. And so um, we actually have the honor of having a pretty cool guest who is launching a very innovative project um and and really excited to have him on today so i'm going to introduce him paul mack with big arcade also known as bigger paul how are you yeah i'm good man thanks for having me it's good to be on the phone with you guys again man it is it is really our honor um <laughs> you 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 uh have a very diverse background and i'd love to to see if you would be able to share a bit about uh, about yourself as an investor, a project founder, an advisor, um, a cryptocurrency trader, you know, all of these things. So tell us a bit about who Paul Mack is. Yeah, sure. Jesus, going way back. I mean, I'm a product of the 90s, um, back when sort of being an entrepreneur was a badge of honor. Um, I've kind of dabbled on everything because I, I guess I never really found a passion in any single one thing, kind of a jack of all, master of none. Um, but I was very good. I mean, it was pretty apparent from a very young age. I was very good at making money or something. Um, when I was like seven years old, I found an Edmunds cookbook and figured out how to make sherbet and started selling sherbet at school. And um, I, had, I had paper runs and did all this dodgy, dodgy trading playing cards and things like that as I was growing up. So I just always had this natural neck for grinding out um as for the crypto space prior to it i had a little fund it was basically bridge financing for fmcg products basically fast moving consumer goods mainly in the import and export um we provided finance because there was always a delay between payment from major wholesalers or retailers to the actual supplier um so we'd bridge that and clip the ticket on that um and it was kind of from there that uh We'd kind of go through months because we had to import a lot of our capital from USD to NZD. And there were some months where currency fluctuations could sort of be the make or break of our profitability. And that just seemed like a ridiculous risk to carry. Um, so we started exploring alternative options for immigrating and immigrating cash. And um, my mate, he was a poker professional at the time. He was my business partner in this venture that we were trying to kick off. Um, and through that process, well, one, we found out how uh, monopolized the banking sector was and how hard it was to set up a brand new payment rail. But two, um, it kind of led us to Bitcoin. Um, so he introduced me to Bitcoin in 2011 that he heard on a poker forum. And I guess all the nuance, I read the white paper, but it was totally above my head at the time. It's not really some, uh, most of the terminology, it was, it was a very steep learning curve for me. And it took about three years later, it wasn't until 2014 that I really, it, it all kind of clicked. I mean, I'm not sure if, um, how many listeners 
we hear back then or what you guys think but it was it's not like there was just a bunch of content everywhere right there was there was piss all educational info i think um andreas antonopoulos and jamison lop and those guys were like the only guys that you could find much information they were the sort of the prime information sources for bitcoin so it was a really difficult time to figure out um, a new technology that you had no background on. i'm not a programmer or anything so it was yeah it was very difficult so it wasn't until 2014 that i got onto it and it was based on sort of the concept of a universal currency right because i had dealt with the issues with importing cash and dealing with currency fluctuations and the idea of a single universal currency for all trade worldwide just made sense to me so i approached the bitcoin investment from that channel and i've kind of always had that i guess macroeconomic perspective when it comes to investing in this space um and i guess because of that i was kind of late to the ethereum party when i saw ethereum it seemed like why why do we need a competing currency and i know there were some other smaller ones like feathercoin and peercoin back then um, but I, I didn't, I, I just saw them as repeating the same mistakes that like we don't need multiple currencies, um, but I didn't see them for what they were. And once I finally got my head around smart contracts, I've just been an avid hardcore DeFi proponent since then. Um, I just don't understand why anyone even bothers with cust third party custodies, custodies these days. I mean, asking government or banks to use your Bitcoin is like asking a rapist to wear a condom or something. It doesn't really make any sense to me. So since then, yeah. I've just... I've just been full on DeFi, really DeFi and gaming for the last sort of three to five years, actually. And that's kind of how we got to bigger. Um, I guess my transition to gaming was I always had this expectation when I was building in DeFi that TradFi would just get it once it's all built. I mean, it, it just all makes sense, right? Solving keys, look after it, have algorithms automatically mediating the borrowing and lending facility and cutting all the margins and optimizing everything so we can save costs and generate more profit, make it easier, global accessible finance, all the good stuff. Um, but I guess as the longer time's gone on, the more finance people I realized, they kind of just didn't, I guess the more mature our industry's grown, the less interested they've, been, they've become. And I guess it's because most of them, they have whole careers built around their industry, right? And they're kind of at the highlight of their careers and a steep new learning curve when they're all sort of looking for retirement over the next 10 to 20 years is not ideal an intellectual learning curve because it's hard to get into right so i started thinking about okay who, who are we really talking to who's going to be our, our, our real users so it's kind of all the, the next generation right that are going to really benefit from all the infrastructure we're building in the crypto space and then i, I sort of saw it in my kids you know they they were dealing with um they deal with in-game currencies all the time and it sort of clicked for me because I've got, I've got a kid that's 10 years old and he he hacked um some 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 he got some uh hack online for um what was the game subway surfer and he managed to get like a million in-game credits somehow with a value of like a million dollars but you couldn't trade it and I just realized that these kids this new generation they're all sort of mirroring the same habits that cryptocurrency investors have today so sort of click that they're just going to adopt these the, the very things we're building and that kind of pushed me onto gaming and that's when i started looking at the gaming industry as the next frontier to i guess drive mass adoption into the crypto space i love yeah. it that was in, a very long in, story in, no no worries man thank you for sharing that 
Um, and and I think a lot of people will would agree with you. You know, we, we've got a large uh, group of influential people, gaming founders. The industry is growing rapidly. Uh, investment is is back on an uptick um, in that industry as well. And so, obviously, people see it as an opportunity to to be able to onboard the masses into cryptocurrency and, and Web3. Um, and you have, have obviously taken a, a really kind of very easy uh, to play and, and um, easy to use approach at that with Big Arcade. Um, can you explain that, you know, a bit about the game and, and what it, you know, about the arcade? So it's the world's first scalable and sustainable Play to earn gaming arcade, um, and and I'm in love with it. Obviously, you know, uh, there's for for a couple of different reasons, but one of the biggest is just how anyone can basically access it, and you don't have to have all of this cryptocurrency knowledge, and you don't have to go to some exchange and buy all of these uh, these tokens in order to play first or anything like that. Can you can you explain a bit about uh, bigger? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, where do I start? Well, for starters, in my opinion, we are the world's first scalable play-to-earn arcade. Now, um, when it comes to Web3 gaming, there's there's all these sort of subcategories, right? But I think what we need to understand is that um, Web3 gaming isn't, for instance, NFTs. Um, NFTs are a natural migration from an NFT industry into the gaming community, right? Um, NFTs are relatively applicable in gaming as a form of utility for saving saving your in-game progress or having in-game assets, but it's an entirely different sector. The fundamental underlying uh, innovation for gaming that Web3 solutions offer is monetization, basically the play-to-earn facility. The problem is play-to-earn suffered a bad reputation um, because of the Generation 1 games. They all imploded. Um, basically, the economic structures, they're all operating on capitulated primarily because of what something I like to call the incentive trilemma. And it's basically just an incongruent implementation of inflation yield and liquidity and the architectural um, and the economic architecture of Web3 games. And I guess the TLDR, it's essentially the, the second you're issuing out a rewards token relative to a scaling player base, right? The more players that come into the system, the more tokens that enter the system, right? So you're just hyperinflating the circulating supply and when you have a token that's the reward it's hyperinflating you have to somehow maintain one liquidity for people to be able to sell it otherwise the reward has no value and two to hold high um hold those high price thresholds and that's a core issue facing web3 games because that's obviously unsustainable especially when the token's minted out of thin air with nothing backing it except the idea or speculation of more gamers coming in and the game somehow churning a profit that somehow offsets the inflation of the token. So that is the standard model for almost every single Web3 game. And there's derivatives of that model, but they're all basically the same model or derived from that model. Um, a lot of them are sort of have your NFT, burn your NFT and claim tokens or vice versa. But that's still a hyperinflating model. And as we all know, as soon as uh, as soon as the rewards mechanic hyperinflates, it eventually loses all its value. 
And when your reward component, which is your primary incentive for drive, driving people into your game, has no value, you essentially have no reward. You essentially have no incentive. No one's going to play your game anymore. And that's exactly what we saw with every single generation Web3, generation one Web3 game. So obviously coming from the DeFi space, and I, I also have a little private fund. I've been behind the scenes from a lot of, of crypto projects over the last five years, six years almost. Um, so I've seen sort of what works and what doesn't. And I've been dedicated to market fit free of Pontinomic intervention because everything we've built so far, or most of the things we've built so far, rely on some kind of um, overarching incentive that kind of destroys the economic model. So I've been really working hard on that. And that's where Bigger really stands out. Now, we are admittedly not the best game in the world. Like we, We're not this big, high-graphic triple a game that requires all these graphic cards or anything like that we're not a big mmorpg but what we do have is the best play to earn model and again like i said for the crypto gaming space play to earn is the fundamental driver because if you think about it right we have a plethora we the web two games traditional games have a plethora of options they're all amazing new titles every year from big publishers um what does web3 offer on top of that we, we don't have their library of games. We don't have all those studios. No one's pushing out those big titles. So what do we really offer? Well, so far, all we offer is added friction to the user experience, right? Because you've got to download a wallet. And for most games now that want to scale, you got to jump in an L2. So you got to figure out how to bridge, buy some ETH, bridge it to the whichever L2 you're using, and then buy into the game. Like, that's a terrible experience for anyone who's even in crypto, let alone people who have never touched crypto before. So Web3 Gaming adds more problems that didn't exist if it wasn't for them trying to be Web3 Gaming. So we've got to think about what is our real incentive? It's the play-to-earn component. That's exactly what our unique selling proposition is as an overall industry. So we need to really nail the play-to-earn component. And now there is no earn if the earn is based on a valueless hyperinflating token that eventually capitulates. You're not earning anything. So we've really hardwired in on the play-to-earn component. And that really needs to come back. So that's where Bigger does excel, is the play-to-earn component. So we've figured out a way how to be, build a sustainable economy with a token, completely integrated, that doesn't hyperinflate relative to a growing user base. In fact, to the contrary, as our user base scales, both the yield and the liquidity increase. It is completely inverse to what's been built before. And it's because we went back to core economics and core revenue systems. We built a sustainable revenue model, just like any healthy business requires, which creates a good business model. When you've got a good business model of good revenues, you have you have margin, right? And when you have margin, it means that margin can be used as incentives for things like yield without corrupting your game economy. So sorry, that was probably a really long way to go about it. I hope that makes sense. It does. It does. Thank you for that, Paul. Um, one of the other things that I've seen you guys talking about recently is the, the 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 large number of developers that you've invited to also uh, be able to build games and uh, for yeah, the yeah. platform. Can can you talk a bit a bit about uh, a bit about that? Yeah, so I kind of went into uh, the underlying architecture of our economics, which I think is really important. It's what most people are overlooking today. And I really think as an industry, we need to really focus on that. Because if we get the economics right, we get the earn right. If we get the earn right, we've got the incentive to drive all these gamers into the market and stay. Um, now, on top of that, what we've built is a mini game arcade. So instead of 
investing in a single title and hoping that one game is a big hit, we're, 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 de we're deploying as many, many casual games as possible looking for one hit. And if you look at the top 30 most downloaded apps in the world, uh, 10 of them, 30% of them are mini games, just casual games like uh, Surfers, Candy Crush, those sort of games have huge mass appeal. And we're just building an arcade full of those. We've already completed about 20 of our own projects, our own products, our own titles, sorry. In our alpha, we've got five games that are live right now. Um, we'll be releasing another 20 to, oh, actually we'll be releasing about 40 something built in house in our arcade over the next six to 12 months. But on top of that, part of our growth model is we want to scale really fast, right? And we want to build a moat. Um, once we, so, so I guess going to market, we want to um, take advantage of our first to market opportunity. No one's built what we've built before. It's a working model in the crypto space. Huge opportunity. We want to capture market share as fast as possible and then create a moat. Now, part of the moat, which is also part of our growth model, is to operate it as a platform that hosts third-party games, right? So part of our growth model and our marketing campaign was to go after game developers. So we've been running game jams with itch.io. And our first one was a big success. Um, so we had 400, 420 game developers sign up to play, uh, sign up to build games. And we now have them all in our Discord community. They all love this new revenue model because for third-party game developers that usually deploy their games on sites like Mini Games or Mini Clip or Crazy Games, for instance, they have a lot of users, but the revenue is limited to the amount of advertising they can push on these users without um, destroying the user experience too much by seeing too many pop-up ads, right? So it's very limited revenue shares. With us and our model, it's completely uncapped. And I haven't gone into how that model works, but I, I will. Um, so yeah, that's, like I said, that's really important strategy for us is to work as a facility that hosts all the other games. So that applies to Web3 games too. We can take all these Web3 games, whether they've done well or they've launched before and they've had a, you know, the, the, um, incentive trilemma has ripped apart their reward structure or their tokens capitulated. It's okay. We can actually take those games if they fit certain parameters, put them in our arcade and turn their game into a revenue generating model using our economic architecture. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really, we're really sort of an infrastructure play as well as our own <clears throat> arcade. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and, that, and that's really exciting. You know, I, I love to see innovation in the space and, and even just with what you guys have been able to create uh, from like the, the, the beta test, it's, it's been cool, you know, your um and I'll definitely Thank want you to share share some of these things, but some of those preliminary like revenue numbers with just a hundred people testing the platform, uh testing yeah, the yeah. So at peak we got to 120, it was generated two hundred thousand. We've had I think it was six six thousand plays. So some of our games are very sticky. Um and our top performer, this this guy Stone Stone Vega. It's annoying because he keeps taking your, your levels, you know, it gets very competitive when you're on an arcade. <laughs> um, but he he generated about 60 something thousand in his first two weeks, and he's just been dominating. And what's interesting is you look at his aggregate play, right? Our arcade proves, which is this is a really interesting fact. Um, so most of the industry of gaming gamers, they don't earn any money. There's no money to be made in the industry at all. Um, people talk about esports, right? Which is competitive tournament gameplay of of some of the world's best titles, like Counter-Strike, for instance. But 
majority of the tournament fees go to a very esoteric few elite teams that win majority of the tournaments, right? So there's not much earnings out there. What our arcade offers, because we have so many different mini games with so many different game mechanics, no one person can dominate the arcade. And we've seen that across the board. This one guy has done well, which is interesting, is just because he's outworked everyone. He's just played everything more than everyone else, which is a really interesting um, um, data point because it shows that not only can you earn a lot of money by being quite specialized and skilled at one game, which we've seen with some other players, but you can actually earn a lot of money just by grinding. So it kind of, it's kind of, we're kind of doing to gaming what poker did, online poker did for poker, right? Is really socialize it and take it mainstream. <clears throat> and I love that. And and uh, from a different angle, it just really creates the opportunity for people around the world. Doesn't matter your situation, as long as you have access to the internet. You 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 have a a very new and lucrative way to 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 have fun and earn money, you know. And I I think uh, even with the world's economic situation, we may see more uh, single moms and and young kids playing uh, in in big arcade than than we will you know the traditional gamer because this really is an opportunity for people to. To, to make some money uh, with free time. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the, the gig industry and the side hustles are going to um, be more popular, especially if we see some sort of uh, market correction in the States or uh, if, if any sort of recession comes. So I'm loving the opportunity and the, the positioning and the timing of, of what you guys have built. So it's um, Thank you. Yeah, really cool. Absolutely. It is Sorry. really cool. Um, one, of, one of my last questions, I know you guys have taken uh, the challenge of building a project during the bear market, which is, you know, we've, we've talked to a couple of other guests and it is a, uh, a, a gift and a curse. You know, you have time and there's not too much pressure uh, to, to be affected by the price of Bitcoin and you can build things uh, with less uh, urgency, but um, now that that's kind of changing, it, it also puts a a bit of pressure on the project. Can you explain a bit about you know you guys have taken a grassroots approach at at, at marketing and it's it's been uh, growing organically. I know you're getting a lot of attention from some different gaming influencers, etc. How? How did you guys develop that strategy, and and what have you seen work um, during this 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 bear market? And then, kind of, what are your hopes for for what uh, what what are your hopes for for what comes next? Yeah, I think I think you said it right. Blessing and curse. I mean, building in silence is always ideal. Um, I, I've always believed in building product first and testing in the real environment. So we just got to knuckle down and do that without getting carried away with the, uh, I don't know, the stimulus you get from a very live and active bull market, right? You kind of just get scattered. And I have my own fund, so I have a portfolio that I have to look after. And I have some family and friends capital that I look after as well. So, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on me when it's when it's a bull market. People think it's all fun, but 
when you're trying to optimize return and manage a full portfolio, you're, you're very, very busy. Um, so it's nice. It's, it's, you know, they say build in silence and you get to do that in a bear market. Um, there's also other nuances. I mean, when it comes to, uh, I think, I think you're implying what strategy, I don't know if we've successfully done a specific strategy yet, but I mean, we are making, we are starting to get noticed, I guess. Um, we are speaking with most of the bigger brands already, and we've only been live on Twitter for a couple of months, essentially. Um, but one of those blessings about a bear market is the tide goes out and you see who's still underneath, right? Um, you see the real guys who are very actually committed to this industry, not the griffs, not the people that are just here to extract. You, you see the guys that are actually in it. Um, so it enables you to sort of filter out a lot of the noise and start working with the people who are actually are here to stay, actually care about the integrity of the information they're talking about. And, you know, I think everyone knows in the space, it's very hard to find influencers that are, I guess, that are fully integrity driven and look at the true underlying architecture of the product's qualities, as opposed to, can I just make some cheap money by showing this to my audience, right? So, so that helped us, um, helped us hyper-focus our outreach, which we've only started over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I, I guess as far as that's concerned, it's it's especially when you're a new product that's been building throughout the bear, most products have gone south, right? They've lost the capital, lost funding, or just all the, I don't know what I'd call them, the lower tier projects that never had real intentions to do anything real. Um, they're not there. So it's easier to stand out, sort of. The problem is you're standing out in a much, much smaller crowd. Um, not many people are listening. People are very skeptical as well. I mean, if you're, you're door knocking during outreach and just no one believes in anything, all of a sudden sentiment is lost and they, they forgot the reason they were there in the first instance. So so like I said, blessings and curses. Um, I, I, I think what does work for us is we have a very... I mean, like I said before, you know, I'm a product of the 90s, so I come from the old days of being an entrepreneur where you couldn't just <laughs> jump online and, and fast track through an influencer shout out and get a million views. You had to build the DNA of your brand properly, and it all started from solution-oriented design, right? And I think a problem in the crypto space, what makes it hard for most projects is that not many people are building solutions because not many people are actually building for any real problems. They're building to raise money and then force that solution on a problem that's maybe not really there or maybe not being solved by crypto or tokens. Whereas I actually solution design this from the start. And when you solution design, you, you're sort of forced to look at the DNA of your target demographic and figure out exactly what it is that you're solving for them and how you do that better than everyone else. And once you go through that process, you kind of have a systematic process of elimination of all the fat of your messages that ends in a very refined message. Okay, this is exactly who we are. This is exactly who our audience is. And this is exactly what value we give them. And then once that's once you've sort of isolated that real strong value proposition, you make that the entire DNA of your company, not just what you say, but it's what you do and how you build. Um, so for instance, for us, we've figured out a way to socialize so i mean I'll, I'll go with the problem first right problem is gaming's uh there's three billion gamers worldwide 70 million of them are streaming the single most demanded occupation for gamers is to monetize the gaming and, and unfortunately 99.99 percent of them don't 
It is the most overlooked industry, but it is also single-handedly the largest consumer demographic in the world. Um, so we've figured out a way to really isolate them and our whole isolate them and socialize revenues in the industry in a way that they can earn a reasonable to very, very big income. Potentially some will, some outliers will get very, very wealthy by playing games in our arcade. So our one goal is to get as many gamers as rich as much money as possible that's our whole goal so that is that runs through all of our dna for everything we do the way we build games it's all designed to make sure as many players as possible can make as much money as possible because the more gamers that like that are happy making money with us the more they're going to play in our arcade and the more people they're going to come to go tell to come play in our arcade right so it's a really well aligned message and so when it comes to initial growth, even in a bear market, we have a very singular message and we just really hit that home. This is what we're doing. This is our entire mission and this is how we're going to do it. And this is why we're the only ones who can do it. Does that make sense? It does. And and I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing that has set your project apart. You know, anytime uh, I've been talking about it or, or introducing it to someone in my network, uh, I always go back to the theme of, you know, it's a Web3 miniclip.com. And and uh, I literally remember going to the library and, and hiding from the librarian and trying to get that computer <laughs> uh, in the back just to to be able to go outside of the school website with the trick that we knew just to be able to play miniclip.com and, and the tank games and, and the airplane games, just stuff stuff there but that that really got us through through high school you know <laughs> like <laughs> uh, and then after school we would we had we were in the computer science club which was hilarious because it was uh just uh it was in short we called it the cs club and that's because we were just playing counter-strike there uh there was actually no computer science learning going on. We met after school and and played Counter-Strike through, through oh, man. So. <laughs> I lost a lot of I lost a lot of nights sleep on Counter-Strike. Me and the yeah. boys used to always hit the internet cafes. Um we never had the home setups. But we were always oh, at the internet cafes all night. And you know they they always they pretty much only have chips or like two minute noodles to keep you oh yeah so oh yeah sort of charging on that all night it's yeah it's, it's not the healthiest occupation but yeah definitely love that man thank goodness that was before uh energy drinks though because now they're just they're, they're pumping out <laughs> 50 grams of sugar and mixed with caffeine in a can and, and we've seen the, the result uh of that with the the teenagers and the and the 20 somethings uh no offense guys no offense um <laughs> But yeah, so that's pretty cool. Well, Paul, what do you think people should be most excited about uh, when it comes to Big And What are you most excited about? I mean, when it comes to people, we, I mean, who are we talking about? Investors or gamers? I mean, I'm 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 most excited about. I, I just I really am. I sort of geek out on just getting the economics right. It's it's what my background is. It's how I got into this industry and the idea of seeing. Like I'm one of the idiots that are actually. I'm I'm in the space for the tech. I'm in the space for the revolution. You know, I really am a sort of anarcho-capitalist at heart. Always have been. 
I, I just want to see it all succeed. And the prospect of a of a real working product has mass appeal and market fit. I mean, I just want to see all that happen. And if it's not me, I I, I get a lot of joy out of seeing anyone else as well. You know, so for me, that's that's it. Really, is the journey. Um, my kids, for instance. That's another big driver for me. So they've never been impressed by dad, the investor. But as soon as I told them I'm building a video game arcade, they're just crazy, you know? So, you know, I've got a lot riding on this. <laughs> I love it, man. Here's status of the kids. So, um, yeah, I'm really focusing on that. And I'm, I'm really, I, I guess, DeFi and just getting lost in all the economics and oh, man, DeFi moves so fast and there's just so many people with um, just giga brains that can look at this stuff and extrapolate all the value and then innovate on it in an instant. And I'm out there reading white paper after white paper trying to keep up. Um, it's highly competitive. And I think we've sort of clocked the concept. We just haven't got the right amount of influx of users. We haven't hit that threshold on the bell curve for DeFi to really cement its place in the greater world, um, finance world. But I think we've clocked it, and I think we'll see that event eventuate. Um, gaming, though, I mean, I guess my point for of that was that it just gets, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of mental, not stress, but it's a lot of mental labor in the industry. And now gaming, I'm kind of, I get to wake up every day and test games, you know, <laughs> like I've really yeah. unlocked. A lot of my a lot of their um mental horsepower and i just sort of zone out now playing games okay this is cool this isn't working i think we should fix this blah 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 you know what i mean i mean now that i've got past the crux of the architectural design now i can just focus on the fun element so i'm, I'm it's kind of like reinvigorated a bit more energy in me um and i guess i guess it's why you know games are sort of recession proof you know up or down you can and like you said getting through college it's just it's just fun and <laughs> so i'm really enjoying that well man that that is incredible and and um you know just congratulations again i i i think even my experience since since being in the space um i, I see certain things and founders that set people apart and realistically the biggest difference i've seen in projects that have been uber successful and uh, or just just successful in general, it's it really comes down to the founder and are these guys, are these teams, are these companies willing to continue building and are they building from a place of I know I'm creating something that has value and that's going to have a positive impact on people's lives. And so, you know, and and that kind of allows people to 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 not give up you know i've also seen the the alternative where that intention has not been there from the beginning and and people are doing it to to get in to make quick money and those are the first to to give up and so you guys have seen seen you battling i've seen uh people very excited about this and and the creativity that you've been able to come up with um alongside the team and in just you know sharing this uh sharing this out and and making this an opportunity not only for for the people involved in bigger but also for the communities also for the developers 
this is really, really creating um, some cool opportunities. And I'm just excited to see uh, see where it goes. So anything you Thank need you, us, I you mean, know, we'll, 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 we'll definitely be here to support you. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate really, really excited. it. No, I really appreciate that. And um, I mean, you've uh, I've known you for a bit of time now and you've seen some of the projects I've invested in and backed ended up becoming quite a hands-on advisor and just seeing some of the issues. It's 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 hard, you know, you put in a lot of work. Um, so it's nice to sort of come out this end with my own project that really, really hits all the hits all the notes. Um, and I'm happy with that. And I also can't take full credit. I've got this wicked <laughs> our lead game dev tim he just loves he lives and breathes games and yes. he he's just a legend um the rest of the guys too they're really they're really on and they're all just developing further and further the more we go down they're completely committed to what we've built because they love it they, they really think we've got a breakthrough product here um also to brian and alex i mean they've been just amazing helping me for everything um so yeah, I mean, being backed by a really good team is critical too, and um, having your guys' support is right up there with me. So I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Well, Paul, where can people find you? And and last question as well: how can how can we help? Uh, I know we're we're still currently raising um, in around um, and. Well, I mean, PR. Yeah, I mean, PR is going to play a big role. Um, what what I like about you guys, right, is that I mean, PR is 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 what it is. Um, you guys are one of the few marketing solutions that can well, actually deliver. Even more, more specifically, how can how can our audience help? What, what how can we support bigger? Well, I just I just think for starters, guys, just really like take part and participate. I mean, look at the underlying product that you're getting involved in. Make sure you like, and if you do, actually use it. I mean, if we built the right product, when you use it, you'll love it, and then you'll be a committed member of our community by default, right? Um, I just want to, um, conviction. Get involved, follow us, have a look. If you like it, let's talk. I mean, my door's always open too. Um, I've learned that from the past. You know, I've, you really have to. Founders need to really engage with their community. Um, I always thought just working hard in the background was kind of enough, but that's just not the nature of crypto, you know? Um, so my door is definitely open. You can find me unbanked with a T, so U-N-B-A-N-K-T on Twitter. Um, otherwise, biggerarcade.org is where you'll find us. Awesome. Paul, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on, and, and we look forward to to celebrating your success, hopefully. We can have you back on once you cross that first million users. Um, oh, oh, even ten thousand, <laughs> but a million ten thousand would be cool. I, 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 you know, I, I think that's a given. So, so I, I like setting that bar high because, because it'll be. Uh, I think you've got something special, man, and 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 looking forward to to seeing where it goes. So, guys, Absolutely. thank you again. Uh, feel free to reach out to Paul if um, if you guys just want to play the game. If you if you know of any cool uh, communities that would be a, a great benefit for for Big Arcade. If you've got any cool developers that have some awesome mini games, uh, or if you know any investors, or if you're an investor yourself, so feel free to reach out. Um, we will obviously share the links uh, below, and if you need anything from us or have any suggestions for next guests for the show, uh, feel free to contact us as well. 
Thank you guys again. And this has been another great episode of the Blockchain Marketing Podcast. Thank you guys as well. Actually, one person you should interview is Corey uh, from Dolomite. That dude's sharp. He's, he's, he's helped with a lot of things in the past, um, especially in the DeFi space. I was just chatting with him. Nice. Okay. Awesome. We will definitely reach out. And Brian, CTO of French. <laughs> I'll set that up. Pleasure, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Paul. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Blockchain Marketing Podcast. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and let us know what you want to learn about next by leaving us a review. And if you need marketing strategies and guaranteed PR to generate leads for your Web 2 or Web 3 company, reach out to us at polygrowth.io. Join us next time for the Blockchain Marketing Podcast. Yeah.